And everybody says together, amen. Everybody glad to be here? I hope you are ready. I am so ready. I believe God, you know, is going to do something great this morning. So I just need you to believe with me. Amen. Hey, I just want to say, uh, my name's Mike, by the way. <laughs> I've been away for a few weeks. Um, I had some uh, minor outpatient surgery on my foot, which I did not expect. I had been having some, uh, I had an injury that ha- happened about five months ago. So I go into the uh, doctor's office and he wanted to check up on it and see how it's doing. He's been treating it for a few months and he said, uh, Oh my gosh. When the doctor says, Oh my gosh, <laughs> what? Am I dying? And um, so he said, Your tendon on your left foot is so tight. He said, It's a tarsal tunnel kind of a thing. So he said, um, Outpatient surgery. And as soon as he said that, I'm like, Oh my gosh, we're going into Thanksgiving, Christmas. I know how this works. Schedule out like three weeks in advance. And man, I'm in pain. I'm like, I need to be like so over this. God, what are you doing? So um, he says, well, we can schedule that. Or then he paused for a moment. He looked at me and he says, we can just do this right now. (laughs) You mean cut and all that? He said, yeah. He says, it's going to hurt, but I I can't put you out, but I can, you know, nesticize or whatever it's called. So I said, like in Rocky, I just said, cut me, Mick. Just cut me. (laughs) I said, go and do it. The only thing I request is the chair that I was in. Could you like, does this recline all the way back? Because I don't want to see what's going on. So anyway, um, he did the procedure and um, he said, you know, maybe in like a month you'll be fully recovered and everything. So I'm just glad to like be standing. And I just want to say thank you to our, um, our pastoral team, um, Pastor Scott, Pastor Zach, always do a great job um, filling in and they did amazing as always. So thank you guys. Um, Christmas is coming. Oh my goodness. Today at our home, we are going to start putting up all the Christmas um, ornaments and Christmas decorations and stuff. So I love Christmas. Christmas is my favorite time of the year, of course, because we celebrate the birth of Jesus. That's what it's all about. But I just love the whole season. I love it. Gift giving, get togethers, and our church services all focus on the most greatest gift ever. So I just want to let you know that on the 24th, which is on a Sunday this year, um, Christmas, obviously Christmas Eve, we're having four services. I just wanted to bring this up because I want you to really start praying about somebody that you might want to bring. Usually on Christmas Eve, half of our services are filled with people who normally don't come to MVCC or don't have a church home. They don't go to church, but they come to Christmas Eve. So be praying about somebody to invite. People will come, they say, on Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, and Christmas. So those are great opportunities. We're having four services, 9, 11, one and three. All this will be on the website and we'll be um, giving you more information about this. But we're having four Christmas Eve services. I'm excited about it because we get to celebrate Jesus. Amen. Awesome. Um, I also wanted to talk to you about something I'm real, real excited about. And that is um, we're doing a year end uh, Christmas gift offering to the Lord at MVCC. And so what that means is I'm as Pastor Zach mentioned, so grateful for your, your uh, regular giving here, generosity from the heart. I don't know if you've been able to see our um, Mission Kids area. It's completely renovated. It's all new. Our student ministries area, if you want, just have a minute, I want to encourage you, you know, grab a Krispy Kreme, grab a coffee, and just take a walk on the other side of our campus towards the back. The whole area is just redone. And the reason that we do that is we believe in this younger generation. We've got to reach them. We've got to reach 
teenage kids and teenagers for Christ, right? So um, that is because of all of your generosity. There's a whole new worship center upstairs called The Loft. It's for our kids' ministry, and, and uh, student ministry is just, is, is just kicking it and just doing a great job. And so a lot of that is kids need a place to call home. They need a place of refuge and a place of community. Um, I bring that up to say thank you, but we want to keep moving forward. Right? So that's for the students and that's for your kids. What about us? Right? So um, this is what I am uh, proposing. Um, we're going to uh, plan to do this next year. And um, out, of course, outside, I'm just so grateful we have a grass area. During the pandemic, we still got to have church. We just had you know, church services outside. But we want to build something like this. And the reason for this, we're calling this the pavilion. It's kind of a spectrum kind of a, a look, right? And so um, the reason that we want to do this is make it a kind of a comfort zone for all of our guests to feel comfortable to stay here a little longer after services, number one. Number two is we want you to be able to connect uh, more with the community here. And sometimes at services on Sunday, we're quick to move kind of in and out, and rightly so. You know, we got schedules and things to do. But we really want to encourage everybody to stay and hang around. And so this pavilion is going to provide kind of that atmosphere. You'll notice some things on the grass, and that's just things that we want to make it kind of more like a park area for kids to stay and play. If kids are excited about hanging out and playing, mom and dad will stay a little bit. And the point of that is sometimes in conversations with a cup of coffee, standing around after services, hey, what brought you to NBCC? What are you looking for? How, you know, how's life going? Would you like to learn more about knowing God? Would you like to learn more about maybe knowing Jesus? And sometimes in those one-on-one conversations, those things happen. And so the reason for this is outreach, but also we want to be able to disciple, and disciple happens through relationship. Does that make sense? So I'm excited about this. What we want to just ask is a special gift above and beyond your regular giving, and you can just give online, or you can give by check. There's um, on the outskirts of our worship center, there are places to drop that offering in, but you don't have to earmark it anything. You just, you know, give, and we're just putting it all into the general fund, and then we'll just see how... The giving goes, and this project is probably around 250 to 300 to do it really nice. And so we're just trusting the Lord. I don't really believe at this point in borrowing money for projects. I just believe God's already provided. There's so much money around this area. Have you seen the cars that are driving, people that are driving in Mission Viejo or Lake Forest or, you know, Foothill Ranch or Ladera? I mean, probably with five or six cars, we sold those cars. We probably do this whole project. So anyway, um, just, you know, be praying about that and the whole month of December. And special Giving Tuesday. I don't know if you know, but there's like a national thing called Giving Tuesday. Is this Tuesday? And so um, if you want to do online giving, we would just love for you to do that. Now, I say all this to say this. I heard one time, and if you've heard this before, I apologize, but I want to mention it again because I just love this. Robert Schuller, when years ago, when he built the Crystal Cathedral, there was a guy visiting um, from out of state to Robert Schuller's church, but his home church was in the Midwest. And so when he was getting ready to build this Crystal Cathedral and the cross, you know, they say that when airplanes come in, they actually look for the cross as the place for Orange County Airport. It's really cool. Um, if you've been in that place, it's just, I think it's awesome. I love it. So... Um, the guy writes a check visiting Pastor Schuler's church for a half a million dollars. Now, I've been praying for somebody here to give a million dollars to Michigan Christian Church. I have. In all my wife and I have been praying for a million bucks to do ministry. So um, 
his pastor at his home church finds out that he gave a half a million dollars to Pastor Shuler's church. And he says, well, this is our church. Why didn't you give to, to our church? This is your church home. He says, looked at the pastor and says, well, you never asked. He asked. So I'm asking now, right? I'm asking not for us. This is not for us. This is for the ministry. This is for the Lord. So um, it's all good, right? It's all for, for Jesus. Hey, prayer night, if you um, missed it, um, is Tuesday night. And this is the last one of the year because we're taking a break because it's during Christmas week for next month. So I really want to encourage you to come 7 p.m. Prayer night's a huge deal. And so um, I want to pray because the text that we're looking at is the book of Jude. We're going through the whole book verse by verse, but I really feel like we need to pray because there are forces that are working against, I believe, what God wants to do. So let's pray together. Father, we just pray in the name of Jesus. We love you, God. We are so grateful and feel privileged, Lord, that we get to be here and worship openly a God who loves us and we get to serve you, God. Right now, I pray for your power. I pray, Lord, the power of your Holy Spirit takes the word, penetrates our hearts, God, move in our hearts, do something in us, convict us, Lord, of how much you love us, convict us of fighting the good fight, Lord, for you. And Jesus, I pray, God, for deliverance. I pray for people to be set free. I pray anyone here today, God, that maybe is just missing something in their life, that, that something would come together, God, that the cross, Jesus, your love, your resurrection power, that it will all come and make sense for somebody today to say, yes, I put my faith in Jesus Christ. God, we are in love with you, God. We love your presence. We are asking God for more of you and less of us. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. And everybody said together, amen. amen. There are certain fights that are worth fighting for. Would you, would you agree with that? Hallelujah. We fight every battle in marriage or in parenting or even just as a single person fighting certain battles. If we look for just every battle to get in, that gets tiring. And so there are certain fights that are worth getting in. And this is one, fighting for the faith of Jesus. Now, I have a little dream. It's a little dream. God, about 15 years, put in my heart that South County area where we live here, Mission Viejos, you know, just the general 10-mile radius, that something would ignite. The Spirit of God would wake the church up. First, wake the church up to what we call, what we believe happened in Jerusalem called revival. Revival is simply this. Something that was once dead is now made alive again. It is not to say that we are completely dead, although there's, you know, we're in, I believe, the church in America. Some churches might be in the ER in a hospital. Some might be in recovery right now. And some are maybe in a hospital bed. Some are ready to get out and live in freedom. I just think that the church today is so primed and ready for the Spirit of God to come in, sweep in, and do something amazing, supernatural, where the church, unchurched world, people who don't know the Lord, or people who just simply don't have church, that they see something in you that they say, I want that. There's, the Spirit of God does something in the heart. Where, where does it come from? It comes from prayer and humility. There are different markers that we look for in a revival that we believe the Holy Spirit brings. One is a genuine return to repentance. 
That's where we come and say, God, I am so undone. I am so messed up, God. I so need just a revival in my own life. And that takes humility. That takes getting on our knees. That's why prayer night is so important that we come together. And one of the things that we ask for, God, overwhelm us, Lord, with your Holy Spirit. Fill me, God. I want to be so full of you, Jesus. And it comes through humility. The second thing of a biblical revival is there's a return, genuine return to genuine worship. But worship is not just 20 minutes on a Sunday morning with music. God, I understand my whole life, God, is worship to you. Lord, when I'm at you know, Ralph's grocery store, or I'm at school, or I'm at my workplace, or I'm at home, that God, everything I do, Lord, is worship to you. Everything, Lord, is you. And the third thing is there's a genuine return to the word of God. Not where churches are just talking about God or telling some stories, but we really have a conviction that the word of God changes our heart. The word of God changes us. And so pastors get back to preaching the word, man. Preach it, whether it's uncomfortable or whether it's comfortable. Tell the truth. Don't be worrying about whether somebody's going to leave. Tell the honest truth of what God's word says. And when the church returns to all that and has a genuineness about it, and just let's be real, the spirit of God comes in and takes over. And that's where I believe miracles, signs and wonders. I mean, God wants to do that stuff through you. It's not just working through pastors and services, but being able to pray for somebody's healing, to see someone get delivered of alcohol or drugs or whatever's going on in somebody's life, or there's something physical going on and you pray and touch somebody and there's healing. I mean, that stuff happened in the Bible. Same God, yesterday, today, and forever. It's not like God will just did that back in the past and he doesn't do that stuff anymore. He's waiting and he's looking for somebody who's humble and who is willing to cry out for him no matter what. And then God brings a revival. That is worth fighting for. And the reason that I say this is because the entire book of Jude is fighting the good fight of faith for those that used to come into the church and infiltrate the church with lies and deceptions and and some that were even cunning and, and trying to overwhelm and overtake the church at that time. We have that going on in our world today, don't we? Whatever you want to say is truth, that's okay. And if you over here want to say your truth and his truth and her truth, and it really doesn't matter if it's truth to you and you feel it in your heart, then it must be true. But Jude writes here in verse 3, which is the key for the entire book, I felt, he said this, I felt compelled. It's being convicted. I felt so compelled of the Holy Spirit Something in my gut, there was something inside of me, he says, to write and urge you to the churches, urge you, a sense of urgency, a sense of now, we're just waiting around, now, the time is now, that you contend, that you go the full 15 rounds, that you're willing to stay in the fight and not give up for Jesus. For what? For the faith, meaning Christianity, that was for once, for all, entrusted to God's people. So what he's saying is, we've been given the greatest message known to mankind. 
There's not a greater message than the good news of Jesus Christ. When I was 18 years old, I had no idea that I was going to find Jesus. I was looking for some girl. I was looking for some blonde that my sister said she was going to bring to the concert. That's who I was looking for. As soon as I got into the atmosphere, I didn't even know her name. I wasn't even looking for her. I was so captivated about the guy who was standing up here with just blue jeans and a t-shirt on. He was telling his story about how he met Jesus. And I was sitting in the back row thinking, this is, this is what life is about. This is, this is what living is, is all about. Jesus, I want you now. I receive you now. That sense of urgency. We need that back in the church again. Would you agree? And that means we together we hold fast to the truth. Hold fast to your convictions. When someone around the, the Thanksgiving table or someone around the Christmas tree or Christmas um, makes Christmas all about the lights and the trees and all of that, and they stand for what they believe in. Where are the believers who will stand for what the Christmas season is really about? And I'm not proposing that we have protests and take our, our signs and stand somewhere. I'm saying protest by the way that we live. There's loving kindness. There's gentleness. There's respect for people. There's honor. There's love and joy and peace and patience and all those things. So... At the end of this series, I want you to know two things. This is my prayer for me. It always starts here with us. Number one is this. I want to know the truth. What is truth? We want to know what truth is. And second, I want to live by the truth. I want to have those convictions. Unfortunately, the devil has made his way in. Would you agree there's moments that you've just been captivated listening to the lies of the enemy? And he gets us to be comfortable. When my wife said, I want another golden retriever, I said, No! Our first golden retriever died when she was 13. It was the most traumatic thing in our family that we'd ever experienced. Have you experienced losing a pet? They're like part of the family. I said, I'm not going through this again. I am not going through the grieving process. What about you always preach about being uncomfortable? I said, all right. So this is, this is our golden retriever when she sleeps. That does not look comfortable to me, right? That, literally, she's sleeping. Now, here's another shot of what I would call being comfortable, right? If we're not careful, the church can be so comfortable. I can be so comfortable in what I want and feels comfort for me that I may miss what God is doing. I may miss what the Holy Spirit power is doing or wants to do in the future, so I want to ask you to step out of your comfort zone during this series. It's really important that we not let these lies, what people believe or what people feel or where the culture's going. We've got to stay true to what God said. Amen? So here we go, verse 16. We're going to pick it up here, verses 16 to 19. Verse 16 says this. If you have Jude, it's right before Revelation. It's in your iPhone. If you don't have it, that's okay. You can look up here. These people, meaning what Pastor Scott was preaching about last week, who infiltrate themselves in the church, and they cause trouble. Or preachers who look like they're preaching the gospel, but really on the inside, there are these distinctives. These people are grumblers, complainers, living only to satisfy their desires. They brag loudly about themselves and they flatter others to get what they want. 
Gosh, this sounds like such an encouraging message, doesn't it? We have to mention what is truth on the bad side so we can get to the good stuff, which I'll get to in just a second. But it's really important that we understand that we have to protect, we have to shepherd, we have to care and watch for what God is doing here. God is doing some great things. And the enemy would love to slither in and disrupt all that. So that's why it's so important that these people who appear to be Christian who appear to be good people, who appear to love Jesus, if you really get close to them, there's grumbling. You ever have people in your life that just grumble about things? I think that um, Jude is writing this in an Old Testament reference, reference because he was writing to people who are mainly Jewish here, who had become Christian. They saw Jesus as their Messiah. And the reference might have made back to the Old Testament when the Israelites were grumbling against Moses. We don't like it here. We want to go back to Egypt. They were grumbling. The Greek word there is gogudzo. It sounds like grumbling. Gogudzo, gogudzo, gogudzo. That's what, you know, people who just grumble and complain all the time. And then, of course, there's fault finders. They find fault in everything. You know, I really think the church should be doing this, side talking. I call it the meeting after the meeting. Standing in the parking lot when the lights are already coming out and you see three or four people standing there after the meeting at church. And what are they doing? Nine times out of ten, it might be these fault finders. You know, why, is, why are the pastors doing this? Why is the leadership doing that? I don't think they should be going in that direction. I don't think I like the color of the carpet. The worship is just eh, kind of flat now. I don't like the changes. And they're getting LED screens and all these things. And I just think we should just, you know, not, all that fault finding does nothing but break down the church. And it breaks down the people of God because what exactly is happening is the enemy starts to get us off focus. Yeah, you know, right? I really don't like that carpet. Why is all these zigzags in it? Why didn't they get blue carpet? You're kind of right. You see how this, it's like a cancer. It just infiltrates its way in, but we might not recognize it if we're not aware. Now, this is also for your business, for school, for friendships, for family. There might be people that are grumbling all the time. Complaining, fault finding, right? John MacArthur is one of my favorite, uh, I'll call him a theologian. This guy is deep. He's, just a, he's a preacher just up near Northern California and he writes books. Here's what he says about these people. They promptly puff themselves up with an elaborate religious vocabulary that had a superior spiritual tone, but they avoid the truth. They have evil desires, which means they're just very selfish, all about them. You know, people in your life who just seem to make everything about them, very self-centered, boast about themselves. My father taught me, Mike, when you meet somebody, don't talk about yourself. Ask questions about them. And that's just a Christ-like value. Jesus was interested in the people that he encountered. Would you agree? And then, of course, people who just flatter somebody. Oh, Pastor, you're so anointed. Warning number one. Oh, this church is just absolutely amazing. And then you hear things about their life in the after, after, I'll call the after party, about what's going on that's contrary to what Jesus said it is. Now, we're talking about Christian people. We're not talking about the non-believers yet. We're talking about people who know the Lord. We should be walking with the Lord. We had a guy visit here. This was about 10 years ago. And it was out here between services. Um, I, I like to just walk around and meet and talk with you. And especially just people that you bring. I like to be very accessible to meet new folks. 
And so this gentleman walked up to me, introduced himself, and um, he says, um, oh, I love the service. It just went on and on. I could put you on TV. I was like, first of all, I don't want to be on TV, but why are you telling me this? And come to find out, he was asking ladies, older ladies in our church for money. And unfortunately, I didn't realize this till afterward, and he had uh, convinced one of our older ladies to give him a bunch of money. So he was flattering to get his own desires, right? And that's a moment when we said, you're not, you're not welcome here. I don't play around with that stuff because I believe that I, my job, one of my jobs is to protect you, to protect what's going on here. And sometimes tough decisions need to be made. This is not a place for you to be. There must be some other place. And it's certainly not here. So we did that, of course, in love. But what are we watching for? What are we looking for? The words, the walk, and we're looking for the warning. The words that they say. Be listening to people at work who are always complaining. People in the church, and this is ne- nothing's ever right. Nothing's ever good enough, right? And they're always complaining about that or flattering other people for their own personal gain. We know watch the way they walk. Watch the way that they live their life. It's easy to be a Christian here. Hey, brother, how you doing? Smack each other on the back. High five. Isn't Jesus wonderful? And then cussing people out in the parking lot or doing things that just completely unchristlike. And I'm not talking about falling. We all fall. But I'm talking about somebody who intentionally, intentionally lives two lives. That's what he's talking about here. Very, very clear. Jesus said in Matthew seven sixteen, he said, you will know them by the fruit, how they live. And so let's move on here to verses 17 to 19. But you, this is where it gets good. You ready for the good, good part? But you, my dear friends, I love how Jude addresses everybody, must remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ predicted. They told you that in the last times there would be scoffers whose purpose in life is to satisfy their own ungodly desires. These people, going back to what we read in verse 16, are the ones who are creating divisions among you. Wait a minute, I don't really see that they're coming in and trying to take over. It's very subtle, sneaky, crafty, clever. And their intention is to not help the church. Their intention is to divide. If he can divide us in any way, that's exactly what the devil, and they're fueled really by the enemy. They follow their natural instincts because they do not have, here's the kicker, they do not have the spirit of God in them. These people, the Greek word is soulless. They don't have the spirit of God in them which is easy to copy or mimic some of the things of Christianity. But these people do not have the Holy Spirit power in them. They have not humbled themselves to receive Christ, but they may look like they're following Jesus on the outside. I, we have a, a men's, uh, one of our life groups is on Saturday morning. We have a couple life groups that happen here. One of is eight o'clock and I, with some other leaders, we lead it. All, the, all men are all welcome uh, to come to this. It's eight. We do eight to nine Saturday morning because at nine, you got to get back and do the honeydew list, right, if you're married. But um, we have just out on the patio area, there's about 30 guys who gather. And one of the guys was giving, just kind of sharing what God had done in his life. He walked in to a huge church, and he was so overwhelmed 
that all these young people were really worshiping God. I mean, lifting their hands, they were clapping, some were praying, and there was, he was so convicted about what the Spirit of God was doing that he gave his life to Jesus Christ, and revival happened in his life because there was a genuineness there of worship. You see, what the enemy wants to do is come and disrupt that. He wants to divide that. He wants to stop that. He wants us to be comfortable, sit in my comfortable seat, I like my seat heaters in my car. I like the way everything is. I know where my aisle is at Ralph's of my groceries. I I like my comfort zone. And Jesus is saying, if you really want to know me, if you really want to be intimate with me, if you really want to have my presence, you got to step out of yourself, Pastor Mike. Don't think about your own problems. I want you to focus on me. Give me your problems and they won't seem so big if you give them to me. This is for business leaders, church leaders, person in authority of any kind of, uh, uh, any kind of culture, these people do not have Galatians chapter 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Now the good news is, dear friends, remember what the apostles taught you. What he's saying is, remember the word The word is where we get anchored back into so this doesn't happen to one of us. Why is Pastor Mike so so weird about this? Why is he, his voice is just getting a little bit louder. The veins in his neck are bold. Why does he seem to be like so passionate about this? Because I don't want any of us to fall. I don't want this church, I don't want us to ever be in a place where we're so comfortable. Oh, this church is great, it's amazing. We're in such a good place. We're just humming along and everything's going. That's exactly when the enemy would want to come in and do something to disrupt what God is doing. And that's why it's so important that we take a warning. If you're in business life and you have some of these folks that infiltrate themselves and you hired somebody or somebody works alongside you and something doesn't seem right, they always seem to be disgruntled and seem to cause problems in the office or seem to cause problems in family, those people need to be addressed. Things don't get better on their own. If we ignore something, it just won't get better God is asking us to get in the good fight, and we're not fighting people, we're fighting the enemy who sometimes fuels people, and those things need to be addressed. We'll get to the action points in a second, but what do we do if we see someone who's disrupting things at church life or within the Christian community? They seem to be dividing and conquering, and there's little things, always complaining, go goodzo, go goodzo, go goodzo. <laughs> Tell one of the pastors. Because we want to help, be able to bring some help to that person. We always believe there's always hope for somebody. We don't disregard anyone. We want so much for believing that God can change any heart. Anyone can repent. Anyone can come back to Jesus. So I want you to remember, he says, dear friends, remember what Paul and Peter and John and Jude, I want you to remember what they taught you for us That doesn't mean anything because we haven't met Paul. We haven't met Peter. But what he's saying is, I want you to remember the word, the word, the Bible. How many believe we need to get back to the Bible? Churches need to preach the Bible, live the Bible, live the word. Life groups need to live the word. Christians, MVCC, we want to live the word. So what does the word say? There is hope for everyone. The gospel is is for everyone. The good news. Why is it good news? Because the fact of the matter is, man, we're all sinners. Romans 3.23. 
For all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. We mean no one can measure up to perfection. And then Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. When I was serving in junior high ministry, I used to get all the junior high kids around. Did you guys know that you get paid every time you sin? <gasps> really? Yeah. What do we get? You get death. <laughs> Spiritual death. It's not good. But the second part of that verse, but the gift of God is eternal life. In Jesus Christ, right? That's the good news. Man, if that isn't good news for you, I want you to get at the altar and kneel down and say, God, I haven't experienced yet the good news, God, in my heart. I want the good news of Jesus. Revive, God, my heart that I once made that commitment, but I feel so flat. I feel spiritually cool. I feel like I've been cooled off. I want the fire of God, you back in my life. That's the best place to be. And he says, don't be surprised when these people come in, or don't be surprised if you feel flat or cold, because this would happen, he said, in the last days. Did we catch that? It's all predicted. Everything, the atrocity that's happening in Israel, what's happening there, they've been so attacked, that's all predicted by the word of God. We, we, it's not that we excuse all that. It's not like, well, great, these things are happening. What we understand, these things happen before the second coming, before the rapture. Before the Antichrist comes on the scene and appears to have everything under his control. And those things are going to happen. You can see a cashless society. All these things are happening. The global problems that are happening, he's going to be able to appear to solve all those problems. Now, thank God we're going to be out of here. My particular belief is the rapture happens before that. We are out of here before all that happens. Gosh, I thought everybody would be standing and clapping for that one, right? I am so ready to go home, and I, I will not miss this place. I'm so looking for Jesus and want to be with him forever in his presence. The church that is longing to be where God is in his presence in a real place called heaven. So he says, don't be surprised by these things. The good news is that the apostles, I just want to share Acts chapter 2 because the apostles taught the word. And here's the good news about Acts chapter 2. Remember, he says, dear friends, remember when Peter stood up at Pentecost and gave the very first message. 3,000 people, it may have been more than that, but 3,000 people were baptized on the spot, on that moment, in that very moment that God was doing. Here's what it says. Peter stood up with the other apostles. They just came out of a prayer meeting It's good to come to a prayer meeting. Things happen after the prayer meeting. Stood up with the 11, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. Do you hear Peter's heart? Listen. This is important. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. Meaning the apostles and the 120 that were in the upper room praying... The Holy Spirit swept in like a mighty rushing wind and life was changed. The atmosphere changed. Peter, who had denied Jesus three times, is now bold and courageous and he's standing up in front of thousands of people giving the good news of Jesus. It's only nine in the morning. These people can't be drunk. You think they're drunk? They're just high on Jesus, man. No, this is what was spoken in the prophet of Joel back in the Old Testament. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people 
Sons and daughters will prophesy. Young men will see visions. Older men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and the signs on the earth below. Blood and fire, billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the coming and the great glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He goes on to say this, fellow Israelites, Jewish people who know the Lord, you know religion, you know the Old Testament, you know the Torah, you know all the protocols, you know the Sabbath. Listen to this. Jesus Christ of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, signs, wonders, which God did among him through all of this. This man was handed over to God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death. Nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead. Freeing him from the agony of death. Because it was impossible for death to keep its hold. I could go on. But basically 3,000 people gave their life to Jesus Christ. Were baptized on the spot. Can you see Peter? St. James, John, Jude. Guys, get over here. We got to baptize. Spread out. They must have been baptizing for hours, man. 3,000 people got saved. Must have been an incredible moment. Here's what I believe. Some of those apostates, right, that we're reading about here, they were in that crowd because they had to be at the festivals at Pentecost. If you were Jewish, you had to follow the rules. You had to follow all of this. For good reasons, God gave the law. They must have been in that crowd. And I believe that some of them were baptized on the spot and received Christ as their savior. I believe that. Why I bring that up is there's hope for every single person. There's always hope for people who complain, who fault find, who make life all about them. The gospel's for everyone. There was a massive revival in Jerusalem. I want to see that again. I want to see that here. I don't want to just read about it. I believe God wants to do that now. There was a pastor in closing who was a pastor of a small church. It, it was small and it was dead. I mean, his sermons were so boring, he would fall asleep. (laughs) And finally, he got so fed up with about 28 people in his church, very, very small church. He slammed the Bible on the pulpit and said, the church is dead. This church has been dead for years. In our small community, it's dead. And so I'm going to have a funeral for the church. We're going to kill this thing. He took an ad in the newspaper of the small community. There was only maybe about three, 4,000 people who lived in that community. And he said, first community church is now dead. We're going to have a funeral service for the church. All are welcome. The whole community showed up. He had a coffin up front. And he preached a sermon for about a half hour and gave reasons why this church is dead. We're killing it. It's done. We're not meeting anymore. And as he had the coffin up front, He asked everyone to come and pay their respects to First Community Church. And he was the first one that went to the coffin. And when he looked in, he had set a mirror inside the coffin. So when everyone looked in, they would see themselves. As everyone came and paid respect to the church that was going to die. There was such a, because he was a man of prayer... There was such a holy moment that Sunday that practically everyone in the room got down on their knees and weeping because they had been fault-finding, grumbling, 
complaining and lost focus of what the church is. Action points, what do we do? Number one is discern by the word. The word is the litmus test. The word is the focus point. The word is what we look at everything through. Why? Because we can trust it. It's not because we feel it. It's because it's fact. The Bible is the most amazing book ever written by God through men. The only book that he has written and revealed himself in his love to us. Amen? How do we know that? Written over a span of 1,500 years, over three continents, by over 30 different authors. At 1,500 years in, it all points to the same thing. There's no way that all those guys got together and did that on their own. It had to be God who put that book together, known as the Bible. So our Bible is what we look at everything through. I want you to see something that happened in China. Do we have that video? Keith, can we put that up here? These are folks in China who received a box of Bibles for the first time. These are Christian people who don't have one. They're not allowed to have one in China. I just want you to see here, we got this off Instagram of their reaction when they received a Bible. saw that, I was so convicted. I probably have a dozen of these sitting around at home. The fact that they had the word for the first time, how they were kissing it, holding it, that's the way I want us to be. And so that means we read it. I want to encourage you, every morning wake up and have your devotional time with God. There's something about reading and doing. And this is what we use to discern some of these folks that might be disrupted. If you see a person who's causing disruption, tell a pastor here. And that's not to say that you're not tattling on someone. It's not that you're gossiping. It's just that we want to make sure we handle everything by how the word says we want to handle that. And so it's important that we give opportunity for people to make things right. Right? Right? Okay. Be aware of those who divide people. Just be aware. Something doesn't seem right. It seems like wherever they go, people divide. This doesn't feel right to me. You want to be aware, right? Be aware of becoming like them. My father always taught me, son, you hang around coconuts, you're going to become one of them. (laughs) You're going to hang around good people. Make sure when my kids were born, when they were little, 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 my father put his arm around me, make sure that your kids hang around the good kids. It's important that we hang with one another. Thank you so much for joining us at Mission Vale Christian Church. Just know that we always have live services here every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. We'd love to have you here and we'll see you next time.